0: Welcome to Arts Monday on Eastside Radio 89.7 FM. This program takes place on the Gadigal land of the Eora nation, and I pay my respect to their elders past, present, and yet to come. My name is Ira, and I will be with you for the next hour and a half talking dreams and memories, exhaustion and time in conversation with Kazakhstan-born Sydney-based artist and writer, Yulia Bavika. Bavika's practice focuses on the gallery as a site for dialogue and thinking beyond modes of representation to possibilities of being together and experiencing together. Their latest projects employ text, collaboration and audience-activated spaces to approach issues of precarity, exhaustion, bureaucratic cultures, and most recently, dreaming. Less than a month ago, Babica was in residency at the first draft, developing what they call episodic dream texts. More about this and other Bavika's work in just a few minutes on ESAD Radio 89.7 FM. beautiful track there by Alvin Lucier called Nothing Is Real. You're on Radio 89.7 FM. This is Art's Monday Sympoesis. And before this we played Laurie Anderson and Kronos Quartet. The first one was called The Water Rises, and the other one, Our Street is a Black River. And these tracks uh, about reality and memory and dreaming are my introduction to today's show. My name is Ira, and I am currently on call to interdisciplinary artist and writer Yulia Babica to talk about their latest project, The Risk-Taking, developed as part of the writer's residency at First Raft. The project sees Babica develop episodic dream texts in collaboration with the members of the public who are invited for a quality nap in exchange for a dream. Yulia, do we have you on the line? Hello? Hi, Ira. Uh, Hi. Nice speaking to you. You too. Thank you for being with us this morning. What is this morning looking like from your perspective? Where are you at at the moment? What are you looking at? What is around you? First thing,
1: I would like to acknowledge the fact that I'm speaking from the land of Gadigal people of the Eora nation. And I would like to pay my respect to the past, present, and future generations. And I keep in mind that sovereignty was never ceded. I am uh, sitting in a small room which is my office at the moment in my apartment in Petersham with beautiful orange curtains on the windows.
0: <laughs>
1: <sighs> I don't know if that's the answer that I um, that you expected to hear. <laughs>
0: Uh, I have had no expectations, so any answer would do, but it's just nice to get a sense of where you are at and uh, what surrounds you at the moment. Um, and you did say to me that it's very hot this morning, so let's take it slowly. It is. And I'm very happy to go down that path. We do have air conditioning here, but it still feels like this warmth is coming from the outside and just the sense of the summer beaming out of there. Yes,
1: Um I had my bowl of uh, oats this morning with beautiful mango on it. I meditated for 15 minutes and now I'm here talking to you. And um, how was your sleep? Did you have any dreams?
0: Oh, You know what? I don't think I did this morning and that often happens and I wanted to bring this up. Whenever I have something on in the morning and I have alarm clock next to me, which I tend to not have, I'm lucky not to need that too many mornings. But as soon as I have that, it impacts on my ability to dream, which mm. means that I haven't fully rested. Or it could mm. be that I was dreaming, but because of this abrupt awakening... I just forgot mm. because this tension of what needs to be done uh, straight away mm. seeped in. What about you? What is your experience of dreaming? When do you tend to dream? And have you dreamt last night? I always
1: had vivid dreams. Um, in fact, my first memory of my dreams was that I used to have horror dreams as a child when I was five. But I, I. I I find dreams fascinating. Um, I think that dreams are very slippery, mm-hmm. and I think I'm with you. I dream usually when I'm getting a good amount of sleep, eight hours, probably. Mm. Yeah. Mm.
0: I think it's a really nice time of the year to start a first show of this 2022 with talking about dreams and reflections and taking time to do so. Uh, we tend to do that a bit more towards the end of one year and as we enter into mm. the next one, it's the custom, the cultural and social custom that we have. and. Mm. As I briefly mentioned in the introduction, uh, you are with me on this show uh, because of one of the projects that you are developing at the moment, and it's a part of a residency that you have just completed at the first draft, and this residency looked at dreams as a writing format, so a bit of a Mm. different way to look at dreams, more as a sort of memory or a sort of reflection, or you mentioned this word, slippery narratives that we Mm. have, uh, imagining the possibilities so just to orient us a little bit before we delve into it a bit deeper what is this project in a nutshell about and how are you developing it and what sparked the idea to go and explore dreams and dreaming and dreaming as a method of writing
1: yeah so um i'm still working through it and i guess that's part of the that's part of the project basically learning by doing But yeah, at the end of last year, I I started writing short texts in response to an invitation I I had received from a friend to reflect on the impact that the year had on us. And I had to think about how throughout the year and during the pandemic, I had these memories coming back to me that I called flashbacks,
2: Mm.
1: the memories from, uh, I guess, from my childhood, From crisis situations, from shortage of resources, from isolation. And I was looking for a format to write a text, and I I called them dream text.
2: Mm. And
1: I think that was a good way for me to merge fiction and experience Mm. that I was looking for. Mm. Yeah.
0: You mentioned this briefly to me yesterday. We had a chat to prepare a bit for the show, and you said how these flashbacks and these recollections of past experiences were brought up as a sort of comparison of what you were going through in the last two years with the pandemic, in a way to make sense of it or to compare it, I guess, to something that you lived already or felt like you lived already. Can you tell us a bit about this past, this, you know, you're speaking of um, your past isolations, so maybe going a bit, if it's not too intimate, into that childhood time and how it relates to where you are now? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, in the
1: past, I spent a lot of time sort of working through the concept of memory. I did my master's on memory um, also related how migrants are often represented through their memories and how the concept of authenticity is kind of, I guess, uh, created in a way through their memories. So, I, yeah, I'm aware that living in this reality means that you carry all other realities in you, the past and future realities. And I guess, especially as a, you know, as a queer person, where you, you try to imagine, to imagine that reality for, for yourself, the al- reality that is not there, that you don't see yourself being part of, I guess, um, kind of a queer utopia in a way. Yeah, so I think that for me, coming back to dreams, I think the dreams are not disconnected from reality, and that's important for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I didn't want to talk about fantasy either, because I think that connection to reality is important. But dreams, in the way that I try to to represent my memories and experiences are not fully autobiographical as well. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah.
0: Perhaps uh, we could hear one of these dream texts that was coming to you at a time when you were working on this project for CP20 publication, I believe. And uh, this one is uh, looking, I guess, at the dream as a sort of recollection of the past experience. So dream as memory more than anything. Do you want to tell us a bit about it before you read it? Or should we go into the text straight away? I could say a few things. So
1: so when the Soviet Union collapsed, and I um, I was born in Kazakhstan, which was part of Soviet Union, I was only eight. So I experienced that crisis, um, but people had to deal with the situation on their own, pretty much, you know, being sort of left, um, yeah, dealing with that on their own. And for me, I think it also added, so I, you know, I spent uh, sort of a lot of time being an accused because whoever was not at work would just usually go and try to buy, you know, some butter or sugar or whatever wasn't available in the shops every day for maybe two or three years between um, 89 and 92, 94. Um, But I think for me, um, and that's my sort of adult uh, reflection, for me, the collapse of Soviet Union, Added another layer as a queer person. It, it it added another layer of understanding that there is not only one reality, mm. um, and this is uh, without any sort of judgment of the you know the projects of Soviet Union at all. But it's just it was that eye-opening moment for me.
2: Mm. Yeah,
1: yeah. So the first dream that I wrote. Um, should
0: I go ahead and read it? Uh, yes, and if you don't mind, I will gently, in the background, play a track uh, by Alvin Lucier, who is, I think, all about dreams and reality. So, this is Isid Radio 89.7 FM, You're on Arts Monday Symposis and this is Julia Bavica reading one of her dream texts.
1: From the series, not everyone will be taking into the future you still have to keep imagining it. The following contribution contains a series of dreams. They attempt to grasp and acknowledge pre-existing experiences, emotions, images, and live through situations like self-isolation, the shortage of resources, panic attacks, threats, and a loss of control over our lives that came as flashbacks during 2020. Stream one, the queue. There is snow. I'm standing in a queue waiting for a kilo of butter or sugar. Can't remember. Queues are highly social places. In my case, they are usually populated by older women telling each other stories about their families, discussing TV series from the night before complaining about health issues and how everything has become so expensive, sometimes swearing at each other. I don't feel like I have to interact with anyone or that I'm considered as worthy of being interacted with. It's winter. It's always winter in the queues. I'm staring at the dirty snow and multiple people's boots. Being in a queue has become so natural. It is boring and unsettling, but it feels as though there is a purpose to it. Queues are full of impassions, tiredness and nervousness, which I believe is caused by underlying competition. My age is somewhere between eleven and thirteen, and I'm wearing my brother's winter coat, considered to be old but good enough for household work, like shoveling snow or getting wood for the stove, or sometimes playing with the dog in the yard. Things, in particular clothes, have this special quality when they are not precious enough anymore. to only be worn when going out for special occasions. They are officially declared to be old, and you can wear them all the time. And they turn out to be very good and your favorite things to wear. And they just keep going and going until you grow out of them or they start falling apart. Boy, boy, are you in the queue? First I hear a voice and then I see the face of a woman looking down at me with a mix of worry and impatience on her face. Are you in the queue? Then if you are, you have to keep moving, not just dreaming. It happens to me all the time. Sometimes she will look at me again and say, Oi, are you a boy or a girl? I can't understand because of how you are dressed. I'm dressed in someone else's old clothes. I'm wearing my brother's soldier hat. It's made out of blue sheep wool, and it's one of the few things my brother brought back from the army. I like my brother, and he doesn't like to talk about the army. I think he was beaten badly during his service. Actually, he told me about it. Since he came back, we signed army team songs and he plays guitar. I noticed a wave of frustration coming from the front of the queue and how it slowly begins to disintegrate. I definitely have left queues before without any butter or sugar same this time. People start walking in different directions, shaking their heads, sighing and swearing, some making cynical jokes. They leave until they form another queue, here again or somewhere else. I turn around and see an older man, look into his eyes, sad but not angry. So that was dream number one, and um, we could take a little break from reading or I could read another dream.
0: I think we have a little break, absorb this, and I wanted to ask one thing that you said when the lady says... You know, you're in a queue, you're waiting, and she notices that you begin dreaming and you forget that you need to keep moving. So this concept or moment of having this time to waste, I guess, you're waiting and the dreams come and the dreaming state begins. Is this how you're remembering being in these queues, dreaming? I think... um it's
1: it's something that we it's something really special and that's something that we do as well i did as a kid a lot this kind of daydreaming and just you know getting caught into your thoughts and i think i'm still doing it actually all the time mm-hmm. what interests me in that is the possibility of creating this kind of multiple realities i think
0: mm-hmm. And this text in itself, this dream text, this, I assume, is autobiographical in a way or in many ways. And here you encounter what you speak about, that dreams are memories, slippery terrains.
1: Mm. Yeah, um, this morning I was trying to make kind of connection uh, for myself Between two thoughts, one was, um, you know, I was thinking that dreams have personal value for us. They have a very personal connection to them. But what interests me in dreams a lot is it's, in a way, it's a common space. And I, I want to acknowledge it this way and not to try and explain or commodify dreams. I think that's very important. I actually think that dreams refuse to be commodified because they are wild and inconvenient and unpredictable.
2: Mm.
1: Right? Mm. (laughs) So in the same way, I think trying to kind of... Well, I'm okay with autobiographical, but I think I'm trying to pull it away from the
0: authenticity. Mm. And what does that signify then for you? Because one of the things you mentioned to me is when you spoke about wanting to maybe pull back a bit from autobiographical, then another thing you mentioned in relation to that is avoiding linearity, so looking at more nonlinear narratives. Is that what makes it less authentic?
1: Um... Yes, I guess so. I mean, it's just trying to keep it open Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and to allow to be able to go back and forward a little bit, Mm. you know.
0: Yeah, making it less concrete and by doing that, making yourself less concrete because you are, as all of us are, in constant flux and change as well and what we mean to others. So, yeah, any text that represents us needs to stay open to that expansion, I suppose. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I'm just, I don't know if I'm ready to articulate it, but I was thinking that, um, and again, from my perspective as a queer person, sometimes it's really difficult to find or to approach your autobiographical I guess existence, childhood and so on as authentic in a way. Mm-hmm. But also as queer person to try and be authentic is also like just feels fake in a way. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: I want to come back to one thing that you just said, and you said the dream is a common space. Can you tell us a bit more? What do you have in mind when you say that? What kind of common space and how is it a space of togetherness, I guess? Well, I mean... Well,
1: there's also another concept of a dream, right? Like the the king dream, the American dream, you know, the queer utopia dreaming, which I'm not going to go into right now. But um, yes, I think that dreams have that political dimension and quality because it's something that we um, all know, we have a personal relationship to our dreams. And I think they're very relevant but yeah it's I think it's it's something that is really hard to commodify it's a common space in a way
2: mm.
1: and also d- dreams um slippery, which is also political for me um you know it's like, oh, I had this dream, oh my God, and you know I, I did this and that in my dream, but it's not really me. I can't take responsibility for this dream, mm-hmm. you know it just opens up another level of other experience, mm. yeah. And, and I think, yeah, I keep coming back to this quality of ambiguity
0: mm-hmm. of a dream. Yes. Yeah. And now that you're touching on the politics of dream and dreaming being a political tool in a way, I think it leads us nicely to this second dream text that uh, we plan to read and in it the dream is more becoming a sort of uh, maybe fantasy or imagining of possibilities Mm -hmm. uh, more so than being a recollection of the past as the previous one was in it you are imagining yourself as a boy uh, in the boy's shoes let's say and uh, here it really resonated with me what you wrote in description of the project how the dream as a writing format has a political dimension because of the way that dreams express desire fear and suppressed fantasies and they Mm. also go beyond the effects or can take you beyond the effects of systemic normalization and assimilation Mm. do you find that link here or am i making false assumptions and i'm sorry if i am no i think that's
1: i think you're right um the second dream is more about i wouldn't say fantasy i would say imagination or utopia mm-hmm. trying to imagining something that is not there yet or is um, is not experienced it's kind of experiences on the margins experiences that are not part of the mainstream attention if you want it
0: mm-hmm. shall we yeah. hear this one yeah you on ESA Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday, Simpoesis. And Julia Babica is about to read her second dream text.
1: Dream two. I'm not a boy. Everything is possible. Everything is possible. As a child and teenager... I used to dream a lot. My favorite time of day was before sleep. Lying in bed and imagining things. This was my biggest entertainment. I had a series of scenarios that I would repeatedly play in my head each time with minor changes. Usually they were about me being a boy and dating a girl or about me being a hero and saving the world. It was a trick to make myself fall asleep in a way to dream the world I was trying to imagine for myself. These dreams are full of fear and enjoyment. They would grow my bravery, expand my chest, let me be the sun. The standard boy hero characters that we read about as kids at school were all short, a bit blocky and blonde with healthy looking cheeks. What they had in common was some kind of dedication to a thing, society, idea, homeland, and a deep sense of love for it. Their ability to experience that deep love and dedication was fascinating. And you would ask yourself could I feel the same way to have the same intense emotion? In my dream, I'm tall and slim. I like myself a lot. I read a lot and consider myself to be very romantic. I get to the point where a girl agrees to go out with me. I walk her home, hold her hand and smile at her. Sometimes she puts her hands on my waist and looks into my face. Sometimes I have to leave before she figures out I'm not a boy. I'm afraid of her being confused and of us not knowing what to do. Everything could collapse like a house of cards. Fake, painful. I feel like a dilettante. I don't know what comes next.
0: You mentioned uh, towards the beginning of this one, maybe at the very beginning, that you used to dream a lot as a child, and Mm. I think you did say at the beginning of the show that you still find yourself dreaming, but you use the word daydreaming there, so I'm not sure if there is a difference. And I guess when you say in the text, I used to dream a lot as a child. I was contemplating or thinking about this idea how we maybe dreamed really more as children and how a part of growing up and becoming assimilated into the capitalist system of production and overproduction mm. comes hand in hand with the lack of dreaming. What is your experience there?
1: Oh, yeah. Um I think we definitely should keep dreaming. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, This is where it starts being a bit tricky because um, the other day I listened to this New Yorker podcast about uh, actually about dreaming and it's a long one and a half hours podcast and one of the things is that yeah, in order to to dream you actually need to sleep mm-hmm. because you are only able to remember your dreams if you have a very deep sleep so in a way capitalism is it's kind of yeah it's stealing our dreams <laughs>
0: mm. Mm. Uh, when you say how we can only remember our dreams when we fall into a deep sleep and don't wake with alarm clocks. That is definitely my experience and you reflected on it, that it is yours as well. But I had this interesting Mm -hmm. conversation with another artist and friend, um, their name is Elia Bossad, and they said that their experience or definition of dreaming was quite different. They define dreaming as, as something that you do when you're not fully asleep and that you feel active and in a way exhausted from it and Mm. it really was interesting to hear that because as I mentioned my experience of dreaming is being very relaxed I know that I'm in the healthiest space I can be when I dream I feel like I have digested something Um, when I wake up in the morning and I feel emptier and healthier not necessarily mm. because the dreams were positive or good, but it seems like I have um, worked through something. And now I'm using that word that I want to bring up and it's work. And maybe Elia felt that it's exhausting in some way to go through this work. And what she said made me think of dreaming or maybe daydreaming in that way as another form of work.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, a lot of the, you know, content that I use for writing right now, I would, I would describe as daydreaming in a way. Mm -hmm. It's, it's based on imagination, but also on bringing experiences that, as I said, are on the margins of mainstream attention to the foreground Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe putting them out there this way.
0: Mm. And when you do go into this other form of dreaming, this deep subconscious unfolding of dreaming, is uh, do you have experiences as an artist of ideas coming to you in dreams? So not daydreaming, but dreaming itself.
1: You know what is interesting, actually? Um, and I was paying attention to my, my dreams in the last couple of weeks, and a lot of them are actually about me trying to find a place to live. So often I end up in these situations of having to rent something like a front of a shop, you know? So I, and I think that is definitely a dream that is influenced or impacted by the, the current living situations in, you know,
0: mm. in Sydney. So this is um, where kind of the current reality infiltrates the dream state and you continue with the same, I guess, stressful situations even when you sleep. It follows yeah, you absolutely. in absolutely. Mm.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: Mm. And I was uh, touching on this thing of dreams being a source of ideas partly because I know of some artists who actually do come with their visions and ideas through dreams and they Mm -hmm. keep dream diaries or Mm -hmm. diaries in general and obviously they would contain dreams as well. But then it led me to another thought that you had, which is um, you write in introduction to the project about this idea of dream being a form of knowledge. You write how mm. dreams are not considered in Western culture as serious forms of knowledge production. And, ye- mm. and yet serious forms of knowledge do not provide any assurance in this moment. So the usual ways of knowing have failed us and reading this sentence of yours i was wondering if you think that the solution to current issues we are facing is more dreaming
1: yeah i mean that's something that is really interesting about dreams because and i think that's that's something that makes them kind of politically strong because dreams are sort of useless, you know, or because they don't give you that. Uh, I mean, not in Western culture, okay. So because there's like long traditions of explanations and um, translation dreams into and actually meaning, right. So that's what we're talking about, the meaning. Um, but I do think that dreams stay in that position of ambiguity and being kind of that's kind of yeah, a weird thing that is not you can't really adopt our use, you know, but they impact us. Mm. And um and indeed, um I guess one of the one of the theories about dreams is that uh, we practice. So whatever tricky, horrible scenarios are given to us in the dreams that how the brain is trying to make us practice all these possible scenarios, mm. but yeah, it is <laughs> in in that frame of knowledge production. I think the dreams are still kind of don't mm. know what to do with that.
0: Yeah, I um, I was realizing how I, I mean I have found this really beautiful thought how you know the the common knowledges have failed us and then to think about better dreaming can kind of take us out of this situation and I guess yeah I mean there is a lot of talk about imagining the unimaginable futures really turning things around and changing the the course that we have been taking changing all the normal new normal but then you know i was also contemplating about this other thing that you say well in order to dream we need to sleep which means we need to be relaxed we need to take time and obviously the system wants to do everything to prevent us from dreaming because yes the dream is this revolutionary potential revolutionary force yes so there are lots of thoughts in there but uh, and lots of questions i would like to ask um, but uh, i also want to contemplate this fact that we in the last two years had this unique opportunity to be bored having nothing to do, Mm. potentially perfect scenario for dreaming. Mm. Everything was canceled. Uh, We had lots of times on our hand. But many of us, regardless of that, failed to dream. And I think partly because we don't know how to be bored without panic and guilt, and we don't know how to embrace this opportunity to do nothing Mm. but to dream. But then there is this other thing which made me think about these concepts of exhaustion and energy. What I feel also happened in the last two years, besides us being having all this time on hand, is that we mm. didn't have actually sources of joy and connection, social connection. And these are the things that actually give us energy and resting is not only found sleeping or doing nothing. There is a sense that we can rest being with others and being in company and dancing and singing all these things that we didn't have. So we exited this period utterly exhausted.
1: Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. And I I would say that we are totally exhausted. Um,
2: Mm.
1: (laughs) As a matter of fact. You know, because uh, obviously, all the issues that were there were brought to the foreground by, you know, but the current experience of the pandemic. It's not that um, everything is beautiful before. And but I do find myself being energized in uh, working on this project. You know, listening to to my dreams, all sorts of my dreams, my memory dreams, my nightmares, and trying to yeah trying to really uh, twisting and turning them into other kinds of non-linear narratives
0: Mm. Journey Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Poesis and my name is Ira and I am in conversation with interdisciplinary artist and writer Yulia Bavica and we are talking about politics and possibilities of dreaming and the issues of exhaustion and the consequences of the lack of time to rest. Yulia, as we just spoke about this uh, lack of uh, socialization and being surrounded with people and being isolated all the time, I Mm. had a question around whether dreaming requires solitude or can we dream in groups, a sort of collective dreaming? And in fact, should we do more of that and less of individual self-concerned dreaming?
1: I think we definitely should. Yeah, as I said, I do think that dreams are, they sort of create that common space. And I think we, we should try and and, and share more dreams with each other. Mm. Because, um, yeah, um, you know, our, our psyche <laughs> comes up with this mix of existing experiences and also all sorts of unrecognizable people and places. Um, but it definitely expands our imagination to kind of a level of wow, that is also possible. Mm, mm. Yeah. Mm.
0: Having dream circles, I guess um, that was kind of uh, co-opted by psychoanalysis back in the day when you know people would go and speak about their dreams in these private sessions, Freudian sessions or Jungian. But yeah, we don't tend to share them with community of people. Maybe partly yeah. because this is a part of something that we want to keep to ourselves as well. There is something mm. nice about that, not exposing everything to everyone. Um, mm. Mm.
1: Yeah, I guess we... Yeah, we wake up being uh, fascinated and, and, you know, and embarrassed and and scared as well. Mm. But I am also really interested in trying to think about this project as coming a bit closer to this question. How can I bring in experiences that are not, I don't know. I'm just thinking about queer utopia, but I don't know how to frame it yet. So,
0: Mm. (laughs)
1: maybe that's yeah maybe that's for another conversation
0: Mm. you mentioned there you're coming out of dream embarrassed or shy about something but then there are also those dreams where something beautiful happens something beyond your you know wildest waking state imaginations something you wouldn't Mm. dare to dream of if you were awake and then these are also dreams that I personally am reluctant to share with others because there is something precious about that and it's almost like you would jinx the possibility of it if you shared it with the world. Yeah, just a the thought there.
1: Yeah, there is... Um, I, I. There is more to... I mean... Um, I'm holding back a little bit because um, because I have to I have I mean I'm I'm in process of writing down some of the dreams and ideas um, that also people shared with me. But yeah, I I remember um, once sitting um, in the kitchen with my mom and my godmother. Uh, actually they were sitting on their own, I, I was just sort of fluttering around. And I remember my godmother, asking my mother, if she could dream of another life, hmm. who would she want to be a man or a woman. Um, and that was back, you know, um, probably 86. Yeah. The concept of queerness wasn't there yet, even. And I think my mom said, Well, I don't know, probably a woman. And my godmother said, "I think I would like to be a man." Mm-hmm. And I'm bringing up this example because I sometimes think about dream as this kind of going beyond of what is possible.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And maybe that is what dreaming is about for all of us. and that's I think that's why I believe that keeping dreams this way is quite important, Mm. Um, yeah.
0: Let's take a short music break, and we'll come back to talk about dreaming and possibilities with Yulia Bavica on Instant Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday, Sympoesis.
2: You don't dream, and there's only blackness. And this is the reason it's because on those nights you've gone away. On those nights. You're in someone else's dream You're busy In someone else's dream Some things Are just pictures They're seen before your eyes, don't look now. I'm right behind you. What fast film is it?
1: The one-armed man
2: comes into the flower shop and says, what flower expresses days go by and they just keep going by endlessly, endlessly pulling you.
0: It's Monday, Simpoesis, and today, the first show of the year, we are talking about dreams and possibilities, or more precisely, dreaming, and also we are touching on the exhaustion and the consequences of having or not having time to rest, and this leads to not having a time to dream. And I'm on call to interdisciplinary artist and writer Yulia Babica to talk to them about these issues in relation to the project that they are developing as part of first draft residency. But the themes of exhaustion, precarity and overwork have been a part and the theme in a number of their previous works. And they're a concern of another text that they wrote for on magazine issue edited by snack syndicate, which was published a month ago. And Yulia, in this text, you reflect on your experience of working as an art installer, art worker, and the toll that this had on your physical body. Can you talk to us a bit about the text? And then I believe we will hear a short snippet from this text.
1: Yeah. So this text is the response to Snack Syndicate, a proposal for the Arm Magazine on metabolism. So the text speaks from the perspective of an exhausted body, a body that is tired and fatigued, and this body is a worker's body. And it is part of an art, well, the worker works (laughs) at an art institution. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so in this case, it is an art installer. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, Yeah, and there are actually (laughs) the kind of elements of a little bit of daydreaming that came out of this. State of fatigue. So, the body the body works. The body executes a task. So it walks towards a tool room to get um, to get some tools. But then it it finds itself going down on the ground. And I guess in this moment of exhaustion, it just keeps. It kind of unleashes that that it it goes beyond the the moment of it just let go of everything. The fatigue takes over and the body just lies down on the ground and keeps thinking and connecting. And yeah, and I, I find that, that moment really powerful. Mm. Let's
0: hear um, this yeah. section of the text and then we can unwrap it a bit further, okay. this potential of fatigue being transformative as well. Yulia Baviconi said, Radio 89.7 FM.
1: On the floor, and I'm reading a little chapter from the text that is printed in um, the current issue of magazine. Walking unleashes my thoughts, and they start going up and down in my body like paraffin wax inside a lava lamp. What if my steps vibrate back to earth, through the stone underneath? Go down, put your ear on a cool, smooth surface. Can you, under the stone, hear my breath? Are they my bosses listening? The floor is my point of connection to this place. The floor and I will belong together. On the floor is semi-official language to describe the kind of work that takes place in the museum once the art is ready to go on display. On the floor needs a body ready to labor, a body that can take things on yet not take over, a body that is not asked to think not expected to think, yet has to be reactive. A body that follows directions, yet must also take responsibility. This body wants to work. This body is enthusiastic, excited, and joyful. This body wants sugar, coffee, and bread. This body turns up, walks the floors, takes steps, executes someone's wishes, ideas, requests, needs emergencies, visions. A body whose job is not to think, is suspected of not being able to think, a body ready to burn. On the floor is where what is not resolved, not completed, not yet decided upon, that for which there was not enough energy, time, budget, land. On the floor is where Uncertainty, insecurity and anxiety mingle with feelings of insufficiency. This is where we meet, where the hot mess is passed into the hands of the sweaty worker and the plate touching up.
0: I recall hearing the whole text being read as part of the launch of our magazine and text really i felt reflects on the issues of fatigue and realization of fatigue which sometimes it even takes time to come to this realization that we are just over the edge of Mm. being overworked and There is something about this realization and Tom Malik, who wrote A Little History of Fatigue, and you brought this to my attention yesterday and and I read it quickly, Mm. but it's it's really amazing read. And he Mm. writes about the possibility of fatigue as an awareness Mm. or awakening. It could almost lead to a revolution. This is my words, Mm. it could almost lead to a revolution yeah I know you read his text as well, so and you said it resonated with you, so I'm wondering what in it struck you.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> I read Tom's text on January first, the first thing in the morning, uh, and I you know I had this text the, the book that was published by Rosa Press for about a year, but somehow on the first of January, I just picked a little book and decided to read it. And I can't recall, you know, the exact quote, but at some point, Tom writes about kind of fatigue in the body, the body falling down, (laughs) falling down on the floor. And I, uh, I had a big smile because I had to think about this text on the floor where it actually happens to the body as well. Um, I, yeah, I think I would hope so. I mean, it's I know from my own experience, when you're totally exhausted and fatigued, it's really hard to do anything, you know, and yet to start a revolution. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs)
1: But but, um, what I try to do in this text is really um, to write from that perspective of the body and the bodily experience.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm. And as you said that, I'm um, thinking about the importance of being in the body and being embodied presence in the world, which again, you know, coming back to critique of the times we live in and capitalism and overwork, there is a lot of um, attempt to take us out of our bodies, of sensations of our bodies, to make us, to desensitize us, I suppose, from feelings. And yeah, coming back to that body and then experiencing that fatigue is exactly, I suppose, what at least as I'm interpreting what Malik is saying when he speaks about it being an awareness, a moment of awakening. Mm. I think another
1: part. I mean, another important thing for me was to keep trying to find that connection, and you know, connection to um, connection to the. Space where you are, connection to the conditions. How um, I mean, in this particular situation, I'm talking about the marble floor, the travertine, the the stone that that I'm lying on. So mm-hmm. I I I try to sort of to to keep. So it's not the end, you know. The body is fatigued; it's on the floor, but it actually start doing something. Something which is really amazing, like connecting to, to the conditions that make this place exist possible, you know, it thinks further, it listens to its own exhaustion, it acknowledges its own exhaustion. Yeah, it acknowledges the stone, <laughs> the animals that that helped this stone to, to, to be formed, and the workers who extracted the stone, that you know, make the foundation for the floor. Yeah. Mm.
0: And this is where the potential of dreaming opens. Yeah.
1: And and interesting thing is that exhaustion um, fatigue, and and I was also looking into burnout um, and burnout is still not considered as something you can get from physical work. It's Still strictly sort of, um, it relates to, I guess, people in, in managing positions. <laughs>
0: mm, like more psychic, it's... psychological exhaustion. Yes. Rather than... yes. Yeah. Mm. Julia, yes. thank you very much for being with us for the first show of the year to talk dreaming and revolutions and possibilities and fatigue and how do we get back into our bodies and into imagining what's maybe even unimaginable at this stage. For those who would like to follow this project that you are developing, which is called The Risk-Taking, and I was also actually wanting to ask you, why is it called The Risk-Taking, the project that is about dreaming and writing dream texts?
1: The Risk-Taking came from... um, At the end of last year when i was writing this text i was also listening to uh, one of my favorite astrologists that i sort of started following and i find it interesting because the kind of the narrative that i was getting from astrologists was to embrace your deep desire and to go for what you really want so i was lying there exhausted and trying to kind of embrace and cultivate that You know, what is that deep desire is? And um, so 2021 was a year of change and it meant to listen to yourself and follow your dreams. But I think that the risk-taking also refers to to embrace change. Mm. And even, yeah, I guess I don't want to say even fatigued and exhausted try to embrace the change. But that's what I was trying to do all the past year, you know, sometimes more, sometimes less successful.
0: Mm. Yeah, and uh, the often people, many of us often speak about following your dreams, as you said, is a form of risk taking often delving into an unknown territory at times. Yeah. So I hope everyone out there has courage this year to follow their dreams, and I hope their dreams are positive for everyone, not only yourself. And if so, let them be manifested in the forms that they need to be. Julia, thank you once again for being with us this morning, almost this afternoon. I hope you get some cool reprieve, um, but look at the impact on weather and heat to slow us down and help us dream. So that's something nice about it.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to
0: you. This is Isad Radio 89.7 FM. And we are coming slowly to the end of today's Arts Monday symposis. Coming up next is Pinoscuro with with Syncopatico. And I will leave you today uh, with a track from Tom Waits. And it's, of course, called Innocent When You Dream. Eastside Radio 89.7 FM.
2: The
3: birds are in the And it's such a sad old feeling All the fields are soft and green It's memories.